Hi, this is Nick Forster. This week, we're going back to the E-Town archives for a show that we recorded a little more than 15 years ago. It's got some great music, a great achievement award, and it starts right now. From the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, it's E-Town with this week's guests. From Los Angeles, Ezra EMI recording artist Billy Miles. And from New Orleans, Parlophone recording artist Dr. John. Right now, here's your host, Nick Forster. Thank you, everybody. Welcome to E-Town get together every week, listen to some live music. We are lucky in this country in that we know that we have a varied and colorful bunch of music that comes from America. And that stuff is varied and colorful, largely because of all the influences and uh, spice that happens that is unique to this country. A lot of that influence and that spice is found down in one of America's most musical cities in the city of New Orleans. And there is really no better person to tell the story of the music of New Orleans than Dr. John. He has done it all. He's played across the uh, color lines as a session guitar player in the 50s. He worked juke joints and dives all over the southern Louisiana. He got into trouble, played on a bunch of important records, made a bunch of records under his own name. He wrote songs, produced artists, and he kept on just infusing everything around him with the kind of soul and funk that can only come from uh, growing up around all the things that he grew up around. And, and this week he's here on his own, just with a piano to tell us how it is. Please welcome to E-Town, a real American musical treasure, Dr. John. Feathers don't match. Where it's flying, I see. I'm sure enough gonna snatch. I'm a handling rooster, and my feathers don't match. Where it's flying, I see. Sure enough gonna snatch. Big them up, lay them down like I used to. I'm the baddest handling rooster. Cock a doodle doo. I'm a handling rooster through and through. Heading down to the boneyard by the hen house patch. First laying hen step out. Sure enough, gonna snatch now. Heading down to the boneyard by the hen house patch. First laying hen step out. Sure enough, gonna snatch. Big them up, lay them down like I used to. I'm the baddest hen laying rooster. Cock-a-doodle-doo I'm a 
my hand lay in roots that do intrude. song that was one and I'm um, playing some more um, he was one of my favorite writers from New Orleans anybody bit my brother took a chunk out of my mother he bit the mailman he sees him every day take a look at you he wanna jump up and play now I ain't got a clue buddy to what you putting down how come my dog don't bark when you come around my dog is dangerous try to set people straight Bought me one of them bad dog signs and hung it on the gate. Here you come around here tripping about quarter to nine, full of that thunderbird wine, trying to slide past the sign. Look at my dog nodding off. He ain't paying you no kind of mind at all. You know, that's my dog. When I come home, he don't speak that sound. 
Now I won't know what in the world's going down. How come my dog don't bark when you come around? Still don't like it, don't dig it one damn bit. Way you and my dog so tight, something don't fit. Slid through the alley, call my dog. Said, get up off your rusty dusty, move a little faster to your master. Your Caillou you. Took one look at me and he growled, ran straight to you. Somebody been confusing my bohound. I won't know what in the world's going down. How come my dog don't bark when you come around? Maybe I better call up Jacoby and Miles. You could take the Fifth Amendment, that is. Better stand up for your rights, cause you ain't gonna be standing too long. First thing I'm gonna do is cut out all that confusion. I'm gonna shoot that dog down. Then I'm gonna get busy operating, strangling. Cremating my old lady down at the cremation station. I'ma torch that too, buddy. And you better know I'm coming directly after you. You can give your heart and soul to charity, but you better know all the rest gonna belong to me. I'm going straight down to that barber supply shop. Get me one of them pearl handled double edge. Adjustable stainless steel, both blades on the same side. So when I cut you once, you gonna bleed twice. If you don't believe me, shake your head, be singing about I, 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 I ain't got nobody now, now. You know, one night I did me a little bit of that double O seven FBI type investigating. You and my old lady thought I was gone, but I wasn't gone. That's when I decided I had to separate you from your crown. Now the only sound you gonna hear when you're six feet in the ground. How come my dog don't bark when you come around? I think you were about the first person I called about when we started E-Town 14 years ago, hoping to get you to come and play this show. So we've been patient, and uh, so far, it's paid off. <laughs> Thank you for making the trip. Since we've been thinking about you all this time, you might imagine we've got some things we want to talk to you about. So I'm going to just dive in if I can. I'm just going to assume that you started making music really young. Was there music in your household, music in your family? Yeah, uh, my father sold records when I was a real little weed hopper. And my aunt taught me how to play some boogie-woogie piano when I was real young. And I had aunties that was professional, and she wasn't. 
But uh, I like the way she played. I still do. She's 94 years old today. And she can still play rings around me. Mine, Andre, is, is bad. What, what did she teach you when you were a little kid? She showed me when I was, first thing I ever knew was that. It's the Texas yeah. book, a little chunk of it. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, that makes her hipper than any aunt any of us has ever heard of, right, right there. <laughs> She's still pretty hip, I'll tell you. <laughs> now, were you kind of free to ramble around in New Orleans when you were little? Were you, could you kind of just check out your neighborhood as a kid? Well, I, it's funny, you know, everywhere around my neighborhood, it was music. You know, it was like a very common thing. People got around a piano and... That's kind of pre-television days what people did, you know. And uh, I could go by my aunt Donnie Mae's pad and they had jam sessions. It was like great musicians would jam, have jam sessions there. And, like George Gerard and uh, a band that Pete Fountain started out with used to jam over at her pad. So I mean, I used to hear a lot of, I was very blessed as a kid, you know. And you were drawn to the guitar at first. You started out as a guitar player. Well, I wasn't drawn to it, but I figured if I was going to play music for a living, I'd never get a job playing the piano. Because they were everywhere. And it was an unfortunate uh, incident that ended your career as a guitar player. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> I can just say that some of the key ingredients were a motel, and a woman, and a gun. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we just leave it at that. Yeah. Let's, um, let's talk about the kinds of piano players that were around. I mean, you mentioned you played a bit, little of that Texas boogie, that kind of, that sound. But there's so many things. Uh, that you heard as a kid. I mean, there was so much great music and each one has a style on the piano, I guess. I mean, certainly there was the Indian music and the Mardi Gras stuff. Is there some of that music that you can give us a little musical taste of that kind of talk about the spices that go into making the plan that you play now? Well, like the Mardi Gras Indian music, it's all based pretty much on that. So what's different between that and like a second line feel? Well, a second line rhythm, like... That's an old-time second line. I come on home one night Tired as a man could be I seen a mule in my stable Where my mule's supposed to be That little rhythm And you hear that all the time Parades, funerals, church And, and when you were a kid You saw parades and funerals And they had that sound Oh, yeah. And what about, just to kind of cruise through here, what about Professor Longhair? Was that somebody you heard when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. He was like a big hero. And even when I started working sessions, it was like uh, that whole little thing he did. 
very dissonant. So what was Fats Domino's thing? Well, I mean, you know, he's like, you... He had that kind of thing going, but he did a lot of other yeah. stuff I like better, but I just thought they might know that. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of those guys had really different takes on stuff. Yeah. Well, you clearly soaked up a bunch of that stuff. Yeah, I, 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 you know, Alan Tucson, all of the guys I got to work with as a guitar player, my second guitar teacher, he said, always sit by the piano playing, watch what they're doing so you don't make me look bad. So I would watch the piano player on every session I'm playing, and I learned how to do other stuff on the piano from watching a lot of different guys. Yeah. And then later as I produced records and stuff, I, I took double advantage of it. You know, I'd rehearse with those guys and figure out what you know, you know, like I was going to steal from him. Right. That's the way it works. Did, uh, were the sessions and the gigs you played in those days segregated? Was it those, like, white Well, they had sessions what they and... used to call, it was the miscegnation law. It was, again, it was a bus to mix the races in the South. But uh, musicians got little ways of ignoring that law. And uh, we used to have a lot of mixed jam sessions. And what about in the clubs? What about when you have a gig and you're playing outside of New Orleans somewhere? Was the race thing a big issue then, too? Some places, big time. Yeah. And other places, no. Yeah. I mean, I can remember going with a mixed group to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and seeing United Clans of America welcomes you. <laughs> and it was just an odd feeling there. Well, you know what? Um, we're about halfway through what I was hoping to talk to you about, but I think it's time to get back to some music, so maybe we can talk a little later on in the show. So glad you're here, Dr. John. Get back to some music. Welcome back to E-Town. Hey, We'll visit you. a little later on. Settlers, oh, settlers know just what to do. 
They give you all kind of good old loving Some good old money too My woman is phony Phony as a shoplifter's alibi I'ma tell you my woman is phony Phony as a shoplifter's alibi Every time I catch her wrong Girl come up with a different lie Now if I wanna catch you wrong, catch you in the act, all I do is throw a brick at the front door, run around the back. I'ma tell you my woman is phony, phony as a shoplifter's alibi. Every time I catch you wrong, girl come up with a different lie. Later on in the show, play some more music. Parlophone recording artist's latest CD is called The Best of the Parlophone Years, Dr. John. Well, that was one of the most amazing conversations I had in all the years of doing E-Town. Thanks so much to the late Dr. John. We'll be back with more music, plus an achievement award after a short break. This portion of E-Town is made possible by the Bohemian Foundation, building stronger communities through the Bohemian qualities of creativity and imagination. On the web at bohemianfoundation.org. You're listening to E-Town. Nick Forster, you're listening to E-Town. Dr. John, legendary Dr. John's going to be back later on in the show, play some more music. And coming up, Billy Miles, a young singer from Los Angeles, is going to be out to sing some of her stuff. 
Before we get back to music, Dr. John was kind of talking about the power of his neighborhood, of his hometown as he was growing up. It makes a huge impression. The power of a hometown is really all about just the power of the people in that neighborhood, how they get involved, what they do, what they uh, contribute. Every week here in E-Town, we get to recognize somebody who's digging in and trying to make a difference in their hometown, or in many cases beyond their hometowns. These are the folks who see a problem of some kind and they aim straight at it. So here comes the Achievement Award. It's given every week to people we find out about from listeners like you. These are about baby steps trying to solve big problems. Here comes Helen to tell you about this week's winner. Thank you, Nick. We got this week's story thanks to Abby Katori Carter of Longmont, Colorado, who listens to E-Town on KGNU. He's nominating Sean Downs of Laguna Beach, California. Sean is a former successful software entrepreneur who got inspired to help others while searching for, of all things, the perfect wave. While on a three-month sabbatical from the corporate world, he took his family on a surfing trip, then by chance visited an island where the people lived with poverty and also with health challenges. He was so moved by what he saw, he decided to do something about it. This has resulted in a major shift in his life, which in turn has caused a major shift in their lives for the better. Now, Sean is uh, here with us in person. He's ready to fill us in on how he got started and how far things have come. So let's bring him out to tell us more. From Laguna Beach, California, please welcome this week's winner, Sean Downs. How are you, Sean? Terrific. So I'm not uh, that familiar with the corporate world, but is that standard practice to take a sabbatical and go surfing? Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> You know, I had, uh, had been working hard for about 15 years and very focused on my career and trying to achieve success. And at the tail end of that, you know, I really started to wonder what my purpose was in life. And it had to be more than just going to work and making money. Yeah. So you went surfing to clear your head and try to see what's going on. <laughs> exactly. I, I felt like I had been blessed with resources, blessed with a wonderful family, and uh, was struggling with what responsibility do I have as a steward of those blessings. Uh, like a lifelong surfer would do, if you don't know, go surfing. Right. And that's what I did. I think there are a lot of people who didn't make that choice, who said, wow, I did what I've set out to do. I got the brass ring and the dot-com you know, blitz, and I made a bundle, and now I'm going to see where I want to buy houses and what kind of cars I like and that kind of stuff. Why do you think you felt, I guess, burdened by your success? I think I did. I really felt uh, you know, a higher calling. The last thing I ever imagined would be, you know, in Indonesia, which right. is where I ended up. That's where you went surfing? Yeah, I went surfing in uh, Bali, and I had been going there for many years. My family enjoyed it there, so I had a love for Indonesia, but I never had enough time to really explore. And with this time off from work, I had a chance to go out to a remote island, and uh, with those things knocking around in my head looking for my calling, I was really struck by the people and the culture in this area called Sumba, S-U-M-B-A. Mm -hmm. And it's really one of the last primitive cultures on earth. It's the same harsh primitive lifestyle they've lived for thousands of years. And if you can picture a remote African village, people living in grass huts, no running water, virtually no health care, about 40% of the kids die before they're 10. Mm -hmm. It's really one of those unique places in the world that I had personally never experienced before. 
Where did you stay when you first got there? I mean, when you land in Sumba to go surfing, what, how do you figure that out? Well, fortunately, there is an American who had been there before me and built uh, six grass huts in a small eco lodge. He and I were talking, and I said, I'd really like to try and help these people. And he said, I've always had an idea to start a foundation to provide health care and clean water and a chance for education for their kids. But I don't have the resources. I don't know how to do it. And it was almost like an assignment for me. Right. You know, I've been an entrepreneur and a businessman. I had the resources. And I came home, and I couldn't sleep at night. You know, I knew I could help. And if I didn't do it, who is going to? Uh, so we formed a nonprofit charity called the Sumba Foundation. And uh, he became my partner in this nonprofit venture to help the people there. Is there a danger when you want to help uh, primitive culture that you're going to, in fact, dilute it or in some way erode the traditions that they have? Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of the things that we try to be aware of and, and sensitive in the work that we're doing, that you know, we're trying to provide basic health care and clean water to give them a chance for a better life, but we really don't want to change their culture. They've lived in these primitive villages of 50 to 300 people, for thousands of years, they have very strong traditions, very strong family values, and uh, we're not there to introduce Western ways, but we just want to provide humanitarian aid to give them a, a chance for, to live, really. Yeah. So, Sean, what did you do? Uh, so we built a medical clinic to start with, we had a number of Western doctors from the Surfers Medical Association come over. <laughs> and uh, I call the it... Surfers Medical Association. <laughs> yeah. All Vacation right. with a cause. That's... <laughs> <laughs> so they came over and surfed a little and took care of some people. And uh, that one clinic now has grown to another seven satellite clinics up in the remote villages to help deliver babies and care for their children. This last year... We brought over two tons of medicine there. So healthcare is an important part of what our overall plan is there. The other is clean water. People there have to hike frequently two miles for a single bucket of water, mm. and their ground pools often get polluted. We've drilled 15 wells bringing clean water to over 6,000 people oh, wow. over the last three years. Oh, wow. yeah. Yeah. So is there a way to measure uh, how many people you've uh, affected by doing all this work since you got this inspiration? You know, the three areas, healthcare, water, and education, and the schools were in terrible disrepair. Most kids drop out by third grade. They have no teaching materials, pencils, papers, so we supply those basics and have repaired their schools. So all told, across our programs now, we've reached about 18,000 people over the last three years. Wow. Wow. And, um, Sean, let me, ask, let me ask you about, in terms of your time, how much time does this represent now in terms of what you're focused on and what you're involved with? I worked two years part-time, and they allowed me to kind of work half-time getting this thing going and half-time at the job. But uh, last April, I left to do this full-time. Wow. And uh, so I work on a volunteer basis, and you know, like I said, I've been blessed with the situation I've been given I'm really honored to be able to give back in this way. Wow, it's an inspiring story, Sean. Thank you so much for sharing it. It's Sean Downs, founder of the Sumba Foundation.
helping bring clean water and health care and education to a remote population. And we're going to present you with this Framed Achievement Award certificate in honor of all your efforts. Congratulations, John. Our thanks to Abby Katori Carter of Longmont, Colorado, our listener who wrote in and sent us this week's story. Now, if you're listening out there and you think you may have someone in mind for the award who's doing great things somewhere in the world, please let us know. Just take a moment, send in their story. They could end up on the air. Make a nomination and learn more about a number of our more recent winners by visiting our website, etown.org, or write to us the old-fashioned way at Box 954, Boulder, Colorado, 80306. Thank you, Helen. The website is www.sumbafoundation, that's S-U-M-B-A foundation.org. So the one and only Dr. John is going to be back a little later on the show. Right now, you know how we like to kind of mix things up a little bit. Since one of our guests is becoming an elder statesman, we'd like to bring you someone now who is just getting started with their uh, musical career, kind of. Billy Miles grew up in Southern California, started writing songs very early on and singing and uh, went through a couple of different phases musically, including kind of a folky phase, I understand, and got signed to a record deal or two along the way, only to find herself right where she is now, getting all kinds of attention and favorable comparisons to a bunch of great singers, which of course is only a beginning. She's here for her first visit. Please welcome to E-Town, along with some of her band, Billy Miles. Care. First you tell me I got a lot of problems Then you tell me you care Yeah, you say you do But you really don't Give a damn how I am With a friend like you who needs enemies I don't, I don't, I really don't myself somehow that my man does me wrong but as soon as I let him go who went Oh, was there something wrong with my hair? Cause when I need this, it's 
some good sound advice You were almost always never there You'll never care With a friend like you who needs enemies I don't, I don't, I really don't With a friend like you They like you. Thank you. <laughs> so glad you're here, yeah. It's good to be here. Yeah. <laughs> Billy Miles, who did you bring with you from Los Angeles? I brought my musical director, keyboard player, and background vocalist, Norika Oling. <laughs> and I also brought my guitarist, Shay Alexander. And then who are these guys? These are like a couple of... Couple Those are a couple of the E-Tone guys. Oh, okay. Chris and Christian. <laughs> they look a little older than your band somehow. <laughs> but you know, that's what E-Tone's all about, mixing different people and different styles all together. Sounds really good. Um, I asked Dr. John to kind of tell us about his neighborhood. What, what kind of neighborhood did you grow up in? Well, very diverse. I mean, myself, coming from a multiracial background, my father is African-American, mother is Japanese and British. It exposed me, well, when we have a family reunion, you could just imagine. It's Heinz 57. <laughs> you should be the ambassador to the UN, but you've got sort of the world's DNA coursing through your veins, probably. Right? <laughs> but um, I grew up in a neighborhood that was very diverse. Um, you know, a, a lot of people, a lot of different types of people, a lot of different types of cultures. And, I mean, that's the real world. And, and as I understand it, you started writing songs like pretty early, like when you were 12 or something like that, right? That's when I fancied myself as a, a budding songwriter. Starting at 12. I don't know if I really was, but <laughs> I thought I was. Do you remember any of the songs you wrote when you were 12? I do, as a matter of fact. The first song I wrote was called I Wish I Had Him. And it was about this boy that I had a crush on in school. And I had braces and, you know, no body and, you know, the whole thing. His name was Michael Lopez. I'll always remember that. It's tattooed in my brain. Do you, anyway. Do you want to sing a little piece of the song here for us? Oh, no. Was it, was, it was so trite. It was just, I love him so much, but where should I start? The thought of his touch, it tears me apart. And I wish I had him. Wow. I wish I had him. I don't know how I'd feel if one of my daughters, when they were 12, wrote that song. I know. <laughs> it would make me nervous, probably. But anyway, you obviously have been aiming in a creative direction and writing songs. And, uh, you know, is there um, 
an event that's happened so far that's been really meaningful to you? Is there something that you've gotten to do as a performer that you had always hoped to do so far? Honestly, the whole journey so far, since I, I got with um, an independent record company that believed in my project, and so far, I mean, the, the whole process has just been, like, amazing. It's been fun, and, you know, it's work, too, but it's the kind of work you love if it's mm -hmm. what you do. So, you, you like being in the studio? I like the studio. I like yeah. the live performance best. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the writing process, too. I think it's hardest in the beginning. Any career in music is always hardest in the beginning. Sure. And it takes the most energy and the most, uh, in a way, it's the most dangerous because so many choices and they all kind of impact each other. So it sounds like you made a bunch of good ones already. So and far, so good. Yeah. Well, congratulations. And, and again, you. happy to have you here. Welcome back to E-Town, if you would. Me. Billy Miles.
Thank you. That's Billy Miles, Los Angeles, California. New CD is called Billy Miles. She's got Noriko Oling on the keyboards and Shay Wright on guitar, along with the E-Tones, Chris Engelman and Christian Teal. Billy Miles from Los Angeles, California. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you, Billy Miles. We will be back with more music from Dr. John after a short break. Your visit to E-Town is made possible in part by the Scientific and Cultural Facilities District, or SCFD, one of the largest cultural funding mechanisms in the United States, supporting nearly 300 organizations in the greater Denver area. You're listening to E-Town. Nick Forster. I'd like to say hello to our listeners who are hearing E-Town on stations like KBNA in Anchorage, Alaska, on KMSU in Mankato, Minnesota, and on WUMB in Boston, Massachusetts, Folk Radio. As always, if you'd like some more information about any of the things we're up to here at E-Town, lots of information is available at etown.org. You can also go to our YouTube channel and see lots of videos featuring some of the artists that we feature week after week. Let's go back to the E-Town stage now for more from this very special show from our 2005 season. So before we get back to music, I just want to pester Dr. John just a little more. Uh, I want to just quickly get to the point. I mean, you had just such an amazing uh, childhood and time in New Orleans, and the amazingness continued. You moved to Los Angeles, spent some time in London. You did all kinds of stuff. But one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was the whole kind of voodoo flavor and the mystique that kind of colors a lot of the work that you've done. Tell me about that and where that comes from. Well, it's a part of the culture, you know. We don't call nothing voodoo in New Orleans, gree-gree. Gree-gree, yeah. And uh, it makes, uh, I suspect when you're growing up, it makes uh, for a kind of a spiritual way of thinking about the world. Well, it's. I think it's just a... Uh, New Orleans, everything kind of overlaps in the churches. You might see the Mardi Gras Indians. You might see the, you know, some Greery stuff. You might see some Christian stuff. It, it, everything mixes up, and it's kind of cool. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> it's kind of cool, but it also, I mean, I think, in, you know, you've had this career that's been filled with all these uh, sort of great icons of Greery and, and uh, you know, I don't know about what a black cat bone is or what the Ufa dust is. I don't know all that stuff. But I was introduced to a lot of those ideas through your music. You know, that culture seems pretty exotic. Is there any kind of gree-gree, uh, anything that you're carrying on you right now that's something that you travel with or any of that stuff? Well, right here, yeah. Yeah. And tell me about that. Well, actually, this, this is some uh, uh, African and gree-gree beads, and it's some teeth I got from some Blackfoot cats from... Those are teeth? The guys that had the white buffalo, they gave me, uh, uh, Shaman gave me a necklace. Yeah. 
What kind of a creature has teeth that big? Bears. Bears, yeah. <laughs> they have them around here. Yeah. <laughs> So the last thing I just want to mention before we get back to music is the newer CD that's coming out, I guess, is uh, there's a bunch of different songs on it from some of your more recent records. And uh, there's people, I know you're doing a song with Randy Newman, you do one with, uh, let's see, who else is on there? I know Gatemouth Brown is on there. B.B. King. B.B. King. Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson. You know, Mavis Staples. Right, she was just here a little while ago. You do anything with my favorite guitar player, Snook Sieglin? He's on it too. He is okay. He is just so great, and he's one of those unsung heroes in New Orleans that's just people should know about him. Yeah. Well, anyway, we'll get back to music. Once again, thanks for stopping by. Welcome to E Town. Once again, Dr. John.
apple one day under the apple tree. The apple tastes so good to me. Ate up your apple tree. Come on, see by me, baby. Come on, see by me, child. Come on, see by me. Ate up the apple tree. The one and only Dr. John. There he is. So glad he's able to join us. The latest CD is called The Best the Parlophone Years. Dr. John Allen, Parlophone Records. Such a treat to have you here. We're going to do one more song. Bring Billy Miles out here. I want to thank everybody for being on the show this week. Uh, we've got a... We've got a song we put together that has a little New Orleans character to it. And in fact, Governor Jimmy Davis used this as his campaign song for many years. And I'm sure he used it for other things, too. Anyway, I want to thank everybody for being on the show this week from Los Angeles. Billy Miles, along with Noriko Oling and Shay Wright. Our award winner, Sean Downs. Doing amazing work. As a result of his surfing trip, thanks to Dr. John, of course, Helen Forster, and the E-Tones. I'm Nick Forster. Hope you can be with us next week right here in E-Town. The other night, dear, as I lay sleeping, I dream I hear you, hear you in my own. When I woke deep, find I was mistaken. You know that I hung, hung my head and cried. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine.
This is a production of E-Town. Okay, there you have it. Billy Miles, um, the Sumba Foundation, our award winner, Mr. Sean Downs, and of course, the one and only legendary, one-of-a-kind, Dr. John. All on stage at E-Town from back in 2005. I'm Nick Forster. Thanks for listening.